always preach through whatever the theme of the holidays is, but when I do, it's because my mother-in-law told me to. I know, I'm just teasing. No, she told me that this week was about hope, and she said, do what you will with that. And it just so happens that where we're at in Mark chapter 9, it comes to this place, this little snippet, which for the disciples at the time just brings them confusion. Um, it brings them uh, a bit of fear because they didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say here, why he was teaching them this, even though in hindsight, obviously to us, it can seem so plain, so clear. And so we see in verse 30 in Mark chapter 9, then they left the place and made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it, meaning Jesus. For Jesus, he was teaching his disciples and he was telling them, listen, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. This is not the first time that Christ has revealed this plan. This is not the first time Christ has told them, like, this is what is coming down the line. This is what's going to happen. And, and the confusion can just be so lost upon us, and it has to be found in the fact that, like, well, they knew who the Son of Man was. It's not that they didn't know what betrayal was. It's not that they didn't understand what being killed meant, but that he will rise three days later. So where's the confusion here? It's got to be in the fact that they just they didn't want to believe what Christ was telling them because it's not how they wanted it to go. The disciples, they had this whole plan, this whole thing. Even now, shortly after this, they're going to ask, you know, who's going to be the greatest among us? How are you going to seat us in the coming kingdom? Like, are we going to be governors? Are we going to be judges? Like, they're, they're thinking about Christ and his rule and his reign and his work as the Messiah and what he's going to do on this earth to transform the earth, to overthrow the Roman government, to do all these things the way that they see fit, the way that they desire for it to be done. That was not God's plan. That was not Christ's role. And he shares with them here, this is what's going to happen. But they did not understand, and they were afraid to ask him. Because the truth was presented to them plainly and clearly, but they didn't want to see it, which is why they did not see it. And this is what we run into. We'll hear when Christ is trying to tell them the plan, and in doing so, tell them that they are going to be victorious. Like, I am going to be betrayed, that's a loss. I'm going to be killed, and that's okay, because I am going to rise again three days later. I'm going to overcome death, that betrayal, that brutality, that murder. I'm going to overcome these things, and I'm going to walk again. I'm going to live, despite the worst that the world can literally throw at me. I'm going to overcome it. But that's not how they wanted to happen. And so they come away from this knowledge, fearful, confused, disturbed, because he's broken what their mold was when what Christ was trying to give them was hope. Hope in him, hope in a victory that is guaranteed that he's telling them, he's affirming to them like it doesn't matter how bad things are going to get, everything's going to be okay. 
but because they didn't see it, because they didn't get it in the way that they wanted it to happen, they didn't see it at all. And so they were in fear and in confusion. If you join me in Hebrews chapter 2, this is a similar situation to what's going on here. The Hebrews, as this red letter is being written, well, they're kind of complaining about Christ because, because they, they were thinking, you know, why much of their faith had been communicated to them by angels. You know, even as we're about to celebrate Christmas time, we think about the angels coming and, and pointing the way, the star. There were all of these glorious signs, these angelic things, these otherworldly, majestic, wonderful things. And so the Hebrews, they're complaining because, like, well, Jesus doesn't seem greater than the angels. He doesn't seem more majestic. He doesn't seem as extravagant. And so the author is convincing them, working against them, teaching them, you know, he, is, um, he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. And he gets into that briefly in, in chapter 2. He said, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, meaning about Jesus. We must pay attention to what we've heard about Jesus so that we will not drift away trying to put in all these greater signs, all these different things. No, it is what has occurred. It's what's happened. It's, we have to pay attention. We have to hold on to that. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation in the work that Christ has done, what he has offered, what he has given to them, like, we understand from the angels everything. We understand from the law of Moses these things. But every transgression and disobedience is received. It, it's going to have a just punishment. Okay. So if that's the case, how are we going to escape? How can we have hope? How can we have anything if we neglect the salvation that Christ has put before us? If we neglect what he has done because he didn't do it in a way that we understand or that we accept or that we see as extravagant or glorious or whatever. This salvation, it, listen, he's convincing him. He said, this salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to, to us by those who heard him. And at the same time, it wasn't just what God said. It wasn't just what we heard from him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders. God came down. He spoke aloud in an audible voice saying, this is my son in whom I will please. Jesus Christ calmed the waters. He drove out demons. He healed people over and over and over again. As we've been reading through Mark, Christ has affirmed who he is by his words, by his actions, his character, and by his works. So the various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. And that's talking about even after, even after Christ has reascended up into heaven, after his death, burial, resurrection, now he has been giving us gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will so that we can speak in these different tongues, so that we can heal, that we can cast out demons, so that we may grow the church of Jesus Christ and further his gospel. And so even though all this hope, this salvation was available to the people, to the Jewish people, which is Hebrews is written to, they were neglecting it, they were ignoring it, they were refusing to believe it because it didn't look the way that they wanted it 
to look. And in putting things how, how they wanted, they could not have hope. They refused to accept this salvation. They neglected it. They ignored it. We can take it in all these ways. And because they did not have that, they were questioning, how will we escape? Because under this time, they were under persecution by the government. Obviously, they were still under the persecution and brokenness of the enemy and of sin. And so the author comes in and he's just trying to convince them, like, this is our hope. This is our escape. This is our uh, atonement. This is how we get away from the sin. And that's what he goes into here. For he, verse 5, Jesus has not subjected to angels uh, for he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. It's not for the angels. And it's not under the angels' authority. But someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels. And this is a quote from the Old Testament. You made him lower than the angels for a short time, meaning Christ. He came and he humbled himself below the angels. He humbled himself into the form of a man. But now, because of what he has done, God has honored him. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. Everything in the Hebrew and the word for everything in the Greek means everything. And so for in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. It just makes it very clear. Everything, quoting that Old Testament passage, in subjecting everything in that quote to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. So as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. We still see things through our eyes, but we do see Jesus. We see Jesus, and he is made lower than angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. And because of this, because he has tasted death for everyone, because he lowered himself, he humbled himself, he suffered and died on the cross, he now, as we see in this verse, has been crowned with glory and honor, quoting that Old Testament, because he suffered death. So it is in Christ and in the work that he has done and in the salvation that he has made possible for us that we can have hope. And so what Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples there in Mark chapter 9, he was trying to show them like, no matter what, no matter how bad things are going to get, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be killed, but I promise you things are going to be okay. Because that's what hope is. Hope is and an, anticip an anticipation and a confidence of the things that are to come. It is a looking forward to and, and a knowing of like, this is what is going to happen. That is my hope. And the hope generally comes knowing that things are going to get better. Right? My, my wife was talking the other day at dinner um, because like so many other industries in this town, after we've had, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand people move in in the past few years, they're overwhelmed. There's not enough vets. There's not enough vet clinics. There's not enough technicians, so on and so forth. There's not enough lawyers. We barely have enough room in the school. That's why we're trying to build and build. And even by the time we build it, we're going to need more room. We're growing. And she was saying, you know, there's 
we just don't have enough. There's not enough time. They're always busy. But they have a light at the end of the tunnel because they have another veterinarian coming up, uh, I think next May or whatever. And they're looking forward to that so much because it's like, we know it's going to get better then. The load's going to get light. Like, we can look forward to that because it's going to get easier at some point. One of my coaches used to say, um, you know, even during conditioning, even during workouts, any, any kind of suffering that they could put us through legally as we were underage kids, right? Because <laughs> we're like passing out and they're like, water's for the week, you know. Um, one of the things he used to say is, you can do anything. You can get through anything for 10 minutes. You can do anything for 10 minutes. You can suffer and make it, th- like, you can get through anything for 10 more minutes. And, and that was instilling in us the idea that, like, it's going to be okay. Like, right now you're going to suffer. Right now you're going to go through this. You're going to struggle. It's going to hurt. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We will eventually quit running you. We will eventually quit making you do up-downs or sprints or whatever. Like, there is a light. There is a hope. And that's what Christ is ultimately for us. At the end of the day, at the end of everything, at the end of days, There will be Christ, there will be God, there will be no suffering, there will be no more tears. God will live amongst his people and we will all rejoice. But there's a whole lot between now and then that each and every one of us is going to have to endure, that we're going to have to make it through. And we want to do so not in a way where we're in our feelings, where we're slummed down, where we're oppressed and beaten. We want to do so in a way that keeps our heads up that helps us get through, that gives us hope, that we may, that way we can live in the joy and in the life that God has given us, not just suffering, not just, you know, if you've ever been water skiing, not just holding on even though you're getting dragged underwater, but riding up upon the water in the way it's just living as God has said, clinging desperately to him, going 30 miles an hour on some sticks on your feet. Like, that is what God wants for us, is for us to trust in him, have a hope, in him and live with that lightness on our lives and on our hearts and on our souls. And so we see a justification for that here. He has not been, this world was not subjected to the angels. It was subjected to Jesus Christ. He has put everything. The father has anointed him, given him glory and honor. His name is now above every other name. And now everything is under his feet. Even though we do not see everything under his feet, everything subjected to him and his authority, he is still king of kings, lord of lords. He is our God and he died for us. And that's what's so important. We can't run away from the idea of neglecting our salvation because I didn't study enough into that word there for neglect to see if that's a refusal, a direct refusal to, to believe in the salvation that's being offered, or if it's simply having something and ignoring it and not going back to it. But either way, in this case, we can look at it in those lights. You cannot have hope in something that you either don't have or in something that you do have and yet you ignore and neglect. You cannot have hope in Christ. You cannot have hope in the salvation that he has offered and given you if you do not trust in him. It is not just that Jesus did these things. 
It isn't, it's not enough for you to know that Jesus did these things, that he came and he died and he, he suffered. He, he was perfect, he was sinless, and yet he offered himself up for you. It's not enough for you to know that Jesus is God. And then he humbled himself and he came down from the heavens and he took on all the strains and stresses and burdens of being a human, being a babe, being a child, a teenager, a, a, a man who has suffered and died on a cross. It's not enough to know that if you don't understand that he did that, for you. For you, and not just for you, for everyone that, that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. And not just death as we would experience it if you did not know Christ and you went and died today. Death in a way that only Christ could because being perfect, knowing God, knowing the fullness of this, being holy, and yet he took on all of sin, all of death upon himself. And for that first time, he was separated from God. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bore the weight of all of our sin and all of our death upon himself on that cross. And then he overcame all of it. Because though he was able to take on that sin, on that death, because he was in part human, just like us, flesh and blood, he was also the son of God. So he was able to bear the weight and bear the burden so that he will be crowned glory and honor because he suffered this death. And so we see in verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 2, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. There's a lot there we need to unpack and we need to look at, but we can see this here. Even in the fact that you are alive today, that you are created, should give you a sense of purpose, should give you a sense of belonging, because you were created by God for him and through him. All things exist. That means you, that means me, and even means Adam Hughes. God bless his soul. Like we are all made for God, by God. And it was entirely appropriate. And so we have a hope. We have a hope in, in just the fact that we exist, that God loves us, that he desires us, that we were made for him. And then we see that he should make the source of their salvation, meaning Jesus Christ, that he should make the source of their salvation perfect, perfect through suffering, that even our Lord and Savior, who did no wrong, who bore no sin of his own, only ours, that he would be made perfect by suffering for us because we're going to suffer and Jesus promises us that he promises very few things uh, a couple things when he is here on this earth and one of those things is that yes I will never leave you I will never forsake you I will send you a helper I will grant you salvation like I'm going to make all these things possible but I also promise you you will suffer we will and thank God that we don't have to do it alone so we see this here. Hope that our suffering, just like our Savior's, that it's leading to something greater for us. Paul talks about all throughout his Gospels, even though he's the chief of sinners, even though he has been you know, put in prison multiple times, shipwrecked multiple times, bit by snakes, uh, tried to be put to death, all these different things, and eventually they do get it. 
Paul's saying, like, even in our suffering, we can have joy. Even in our suffering. That's what I'm saying. God does not want us to live next to the ground crushed until he finally comes and, and takes our soul up to heaven or until Christ finally comes and rides in on the white horse. Like, that is not what he wants for us. Yes, we will suffer here on this earth, but we have a hope that even in our suffering, God is perfecting us. God is sanctifying us. He's growing us and shaping us into something greater and that it is for our own good. It says this in verse 11, for the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, listen, we all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us, call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. He says again, I will trust in him. And again, I am here with the children God gave me. So now, since the children have flesh and blood and common meat, we're all made out of the same thing. We're all cut from the same cloth, all made in the image of God. We all have flesh and blood in common. Jesus also shared in these. He too was of flesh and blood. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding on to the power of death. That is the devil. And that he would free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So not only has Christ come to give us a hope, to give us a salvation in him that has put shame upon the devil, that has defeated them, even though we may not see it now, as it was saying. Everything is subject under his feet. Oswald Owens has a, a book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. And we see that here, that even the power of death, the one holding the power of death, the devil, he is now defeated. And the us, us people, we have now been freed from living a life that is in fear of death. We no longer have to be afraid because we have a hope eternal. As Peter calls him, we have a living hope. And that is in Jesus Christ. But that is only accessed, that is only available to us through our trust and faith in him as our Lord and Savior. We cannot separate these two. Yes, God created all of us for him. We are all created by him. And yes, Jesus Christ came and he died for everyone. He took on the death and sin for everyone so that he is made holy. He is above all these names. But if we neglect that salvation, whether by refusing to believe in it or whether by having it, but choosing not to live as though we have it, not to live as though we have this eternal hope, this living hope, then it's our loss. And we're still living in fear of death. We're still living under the slavery to that. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. We are made of the same flesh and blood that he was made of. And we all have one father who loves us dearly. So we have a hope in the fact that God loves us, that he has always loved us, that he is our father. We have hope in the fact that we have a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ himself in Christ by his works through his salvation of his blood. So what does that tell us? We have a hope because we are not alone. 
You do not have to endure this life on your own. You have your brothers and sisters. You have Christ in which whom you now live. And you have God the Father who loves you dearly. And he has even given us the Holy Spirit as a helper for us. He now indwells with us. You in no way, shape, or form are alone. And so you do not have to depend upon yourself. You do not have to depend upon your own strength or your own um, uh, mental capabilities or physical capabilities. In all these things, you may hope and trust in God. Because even death itself is subject to him. And that is the only thing. So we have no fear. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help the angels, but he to help Abraham's offspring. That's the intended audience here. God's people, like he has not abandoned you. He loved you even more so than the angels. Christ did not come to die for them. Therefore, he had to be like his Jesus, meaning Jesus had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. So that he could make atonement for the sins of his people. Some of your translations may say propitiation. So that he could be the sacrifice for us so that he could stand before God on our behalf so that we would not have to be ashamed, that we would not have to be in fear, that God, we would know God's love for us, that it would be revealed to us and, and that we would be made holy and righteous in his sight. And then we see here, verse 18, one more snippet. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. We will still go through that. We will still be tempted. We will still suffer. We will still be affected by the sins of this world and the sins in our heart. And yet Christ still, even in our temptation, we have a hope in him. He has given us everything we need, each other, himself, in every aspect, he will come and he will meet our needs. And so we have a hope in all things. We have a hope to where we don't have to fear death. We have a hope to where we don't have to fear the devil or evil. We have a hope to where we don't have to fear temptation. And so what does it look like for this to be lived out? What does it look like for us to understand this and, and know this? That's why I just want to spend a few more minutes. If we can go to Psalms 71, we can catch a, a glimpse or an idea of what this looks like in somebody's life. Those scriptures divinely inspired. He, 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 God did it through the authors, through their experiences, through the things that he would give them and show them. And we get to make that connection here. We get to look at this passage now because of when we live, because of our perspective, in the light of Christ, in the light of our living hope, we can read through this now. What a privilege. David in his psalm, he says this, Lord, I seek refuge in you. And he's going to use a lot of language here in the next few verses, which is translate and show us because of Christ. Now we can hold on to these things. We can know that they're true. He says, I seek refuge in you. He has it. Let me never be disgraced. You won't be. There is now no condemnation because of Christ. Like You do not have to be ashamed anymore because of what you have done. In your justice, he says in verse 2, rescue and deliver me. He will. 
He did. Listen closely to me and save me. He will and he has. Listen, be a rock of refuge for me. Christ is the rock upon which I stand. Where I can always go, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Looking at these psalms in light of who Christ is, in light of the promises that have been made to us, even the few, very few that we have discussed today, we just get a whole new understanding. So give the command to save me, God did. For you're my rock and fortress, yes sir. But deliver me, my God, from the power of the wicked. And this is a prayer that this man prayed, that Christ even taught us to pray, saying, deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom from the grasp of the unjust and the oppressive we are kept for you are my hope Lord God my confidence from my youth I have leaned on you from birth meaning I've always been dependent upon you you took me from my mother's womb even when I was unable to be consciously dependent upon you like God is the cause you created for him and from him So always, even if we do not recognize it, even if we neglect it like we neglect our salvation, God has always been there for us since birth. And so this man says, he says, my praise is always about you. I am like a miraculous sign to many. And yes, he was. David had done so many things because God has enabled him to do so many things, whether conquering giants or becoming a king in all these ways, even though he had fallen, even though he messed up, even though he'd gone to Bathsheba or, or made these poor choices, like he still, God has kept him. And you cannot forget that this Psalm is written closer into his old age. And so those who have been with us for many years who make the, think the years go by very fast, You cannot forget when you think about the hope that you have for the future, how much God has done for you already, that he has sustained you for 60, 70, 80 years. For even those of us who are dumb and made it into our 30s somehow by the grace of God after motorcycles or jumping off roofs or whatever we may have done, God has kept you. This is our hope that he will continue to keep us no matter what comes. So he says, I'm like a sign And you are my strong refuge. My mouth is full of praise and honor to you all day long. Does this sound like a man who is forsaken, who has ignored, who has forgotten his salvation? Don't discard me in my old age as my strength fails. Do not abandon me. We've been given a greater hope. And honestly, for those who are older amongst us, you should have an even greater hope because genetically, the way the world works, you're slightly closer to being in his presence than we are. No day is promised, but yours are a little more limited than mine. So it says in verse 10, for my enemies talk about me and those who spy and plot together with me, we're gonna go through trials. We're gonna go through temptations. We're gonna have uh, oppressors and, and things that we go up against. People who are gonna come after you, those who try to prey upon you, those who try to take advantage of you in your age and so on. And this is what he's talking about here. God is. The enemy is saying God has abandoned him, chase him, catch him. There is no one to rescue him. And so he just begs, God, do not be far from me. My God, hurry to help me. And in light of what we know about Christ and in light of the hope that we have about him, we know he will never leave. He will never forsake. He has never been far. And he indwells within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that, because of that, verse 3, the adversaries, they will be disgraced. The, the, 
prince of lies, the devil himself, he has been disgraced. He has been destroyed. And those are the ones who he definitely intends to harm us. And he is the one who has now been disgraced and humiliated because of what Christ has done. And so it's because of that we look down to verse 14 and we can say this, but I will hope continually and will praise you more and more. Because of you, I will hope continually. And because of that, I will praise you more and more. The more things that I endure, the more things that I suffer through, the more wickedness and evil that I see in this world, that gives me such greater hope because no matter how bad things look, no matter where you are at and worrying about how the culture is or the economy is or, or how bad things are going to get for your children or your grandchildren, the reality is that even though they're going to get worse, they're going to get much worse, God is so much greater and nothing in this world is going to be able to overcome him and what he has already done. That is our hope. And so because of that, because of that hope, my mouth will tell about your righteousness and your salvation all day long, though I cannot sum them up. I come because of the mighty acts of the Lord God. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. And we can go on from there. And I would encourage you to later in your quiet time as you read and as you look. One, one more of our self-share permit to sum up. Because it's what we've been talking about. Verse 20 says, You caused me to experience many troubles and misfortunes. But you will revive me again. You will bring me up again. Even from the depths of the earth. God has overcome death. What more is there against us? God has overcome the devil. What more is there opposed to us? What greater evil is there in this world than the king of evil himself? So if we trust in God, if we are living out our salvation, if we're not neglecting it or ignoring it, whom shall we fear? What can we not endure? Not by my own strength. Not by your own power. Not by your own will. Or by your own ability. But all by what God has already done through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All by his power and his authority with everything subjected underneath his feet. That is how we can live. That is how we can hope. And that is how we can worship even now just as David did. Terry, if you'll come up. So let us with that worship now, please stand and sing with us. This altar, it is open to you. If you need prayer, if you have lost hope, if you have never found the salvation that is offered to you by Jesus Christ, let us pray with you. Let us worship together. Let us